mention one more thing that I forgot to put on the prayer list, but Corey cut his arm pretty bad, so uh, pray for Corey's uh, getting better there as well. So a uh, little bit of an accident doing yard work, but uh, pray for him. Let's go to Lord in prayer and lift these up. Father, we thank you for the time that we have here and, and uh, these uh, list, uh, prayer list mentions. I think of Alan's sister. I pray to help her to continue to recuperate there. And we want to lift up also Robert Hogg is uh, dealing with a uh, situation with a little infection right now. pray that that would get better too. And, and uh, Lord, we just pray that you would work in these different areas with Corey's uh, pain there that he has. And uh, Lord, I pray you'd be with uh, Cindy Pizza's brother-in-law as well as he's still recuperating. And, and others in our church that are facing different illnesses and pains, uh, we just want to lift them up to you. Uh, we think of Eloise still. I just pray you'd continue to comfort and love on her and help us, Lord, to be an encouragement to one another. Be with us this evening as we lift you up through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Mark chapter 6 tonight. Mark chapter 6. And uh, just kind of wrapping up the ministry and the life of John the Baptist. We've been talking about John the Baptist now for a number of weeks. And uh, tonight we get to his beheading. The beheading of John the Baptist. And the story of the beheading of John the Baptist is not for a weak stomach. It's not, I mean, you read that account, it's just a terrible, terrible situation. It shows man at his very worst. And that's what we want to just look at tonight and kind of compare the two. And when we look at Herod, and uh, of course we've been looking at John the Baptist and want to continue to, uh, to focus on his good points. Uh, but it's a good reminder for us that the more one is favored by God, the less he will be honored by the world. The more that one is honored by the world, usually the less he is favored by God. Uh, the beheading of John the Baptist is a very significant event. In fact, here's an interesting thing for you, you might not have realized, but in the book of Mark, there's only one story given that wasn't about Jesus, and that's about the beheading of John the Baptist. Uh, everything else was focused on Jesus Christ. So we'll look at this story, see what the lessons uh, might have for us, and uh, we're just really, uh, tonight, just kind of going to go through the verses, going to go through the story, and we'll pull some of these principles out and just uh, give you a couple of thoughts, and then maybe they'll be a help to you. Uh, we're going to start reading at verse number 17, Mark chapter 6, verse 17, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John, and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod, that you could add the word yet to that verse. She could not kill him yet. We're going to get to where she worked that out. Uh, verse 20, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and unholy, and observed him. When he had heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. When a convenient day was come, that Herod was on his birthday, on his birthday, made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. In other words, uh, that really means chief men of Galilee. And when the daughter of said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it to thee. And he swore unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway and with haste unto the king and said, and asked, saying, 
I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceeding sorry. Yet for his oath's sake and for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison. Father, I pray tonight that we bless the reading of your word. Help us, Lord, as we uh, we could talk much about this story, but I pray that the few observations we make will be a help. Pray in Jesus' name, Amen. We look at the provoking or the provoker of the beheading, uh, John's preaching against uh, sin as a whole, against some of Herod's specific sins. Here uh, was the reason he was in prison. Specifically, he had preached against and talked about and made it public that the sin of Herod marrying his brother's uh, wife uh, was a was a sin against God. It was uh, preaching against this particular sin that led eventually to his death. Now, the the story of how Herod ended up with Herodias is, <laughs> we'd say it's a pretty sad story, but it's not that different from what you read if you pick up a tabloid today. It's pretty typical of what we see in uh, some of our uh, supposed earthly heroes in Hollywood and such. It all started when he took a trip to Rome, and on his way he stopped to visit his brother Philip. <clears throat> While in Philip's home, he became infatuated with Philip's wife, Herodias. And obviously it was a uh, mutual feeling because she also reciprocated. Both of them were already married. Herod had married <clears throat> the daughter of Aretas, but this didn't stop him. They, uh, the, it only required divorcing each one of their mates so that then they could be together. And uh, for Herodias, this marriage would be a big step up for her socially. This would increase her uh, view. It would increase her in every way that she wanted to be increased. We can see through this story uh, that she was a very selfish, arrogant, and ambitious woman. And Herod was the greatest prince of the Herodian family, uh, evidently according to history. Uh, her husband Philip didn't have a position in government. And so for her, this was wealth, it was fame, it was position, and it made her somebody. And so she left her husband and married Herod. Herod left his wife and married uh, Herodias. And she took her daughter Salome with her uh, to become Herod's wife. The whole thing reeks of immorality. This was a decision based on the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Uh, that talks about in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. There was no regard for morality here, for anything clean and pure. It was simply a following of the flesh. It was something that they wanted and they were going to get. Now, of course, the laws of the land made what they did legal, uh, but it didn't make it right. You could, you could argue the laws in our land today would make it legal. I mean, there's nothing illegal about what they did as far as the laws of the land were. Uh, but we had better remember that the laws of man do not ever nullify the laws of God. God's laws are still in place. We still have a, a duty to obey God's law regardless of what man's law says is okay. Remember, the Bible tells us that there's going to come a time, and I think we're there, where men call good evil and evil good. We see that very rampant today. The Bible says in the word, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 11, <clears throat> Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. Exactly what Herod did uh, when he took Herodias for his wife. So the immorality of Herod and Herodias might have been legal according to the laws of the land, but it stunk to high heaven 
when it came to how God looked at what they did. Now, what they did was wrong, and the world might have condoned it, but there was a man of God who did not. And he was vocal about it, and he evidently preached about it. He made it, he made it no secret, no bones about what he thought of this uh, action of theirs. And so <clears throat> the response of John the Baptist was plain and simple in Mark 16 or Mark 6:18 here uh, that we read it. It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Now, obviously, it's not lawful in God's eyes for you to have your brother's wife. John left no doubt where he stood and what God said about the matter. Now, it took great courage for John to be outspoken, and he was not naive, I believe, when he did so. You got to know in an area like John lived, in a time like John lived, that when you preach against a king, and not Herod wasn't a king specifically, we'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, you preach against someone with the kind of power that Herod had, you're really taking your life in your own hands. It would put him in great danger. But there was something about John's character that he did not let peril affect the pulpit. And that's something good that can be said about him. Boy, we need more preachers like John the Baptist in today's day and age that don't let uh, the Word of God become polluted with what people might think or with how people might be uh, might respond to it, but just give the Word as it is. A.T. Robertson said this about John the Baptist. It was a blunt and brave thing that John said. It cost him his head. But then he says this, It is better to have a head like John the Baptist and lose it than an ordinary head and keep it. <laughs> Think about that statement. Uh, it's better to have a head like John the Baptist and lose it than to have an ordinary head and keep it. There's a lot of truth in that. Now, John's message was not received well by Herod and especially not about, uh, by Herodias. What is the old saying? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And uh, she did not let... In fact, it kind of seems like Herod... He, he did want to kill John. We'll see that in a minute too. But uh, he, he was probably more willing than she was to let it go. She wasn't going to let this go. Bible preaching always has reception problems. Always. By somebody. You preach the Bible as it is. You preach the Bible as truth. And we're going to have reception issues by some. Uh, Herod and Herodias defended their immoral ways. And they did it through murder. Now, they, so, so they thought that they would <laughs> defend their wickedness by more wickedness by actually killing John. Now today, thankfully, professing Christians do not murder the preacher. Usually, not around here anyway. Uh, but they often do murder the Word of God in trying to, uh, trying to defend their positions and their deeds. So now we look at the particulars here of the beheading. The death of John the Baptist, it wasn't unplanned. Now it might seem as we read this story that it kind of popped up. I don't believe this was unplanned at all. It was not a spur-of-the-moment idea. In verse 19 here, the Bible says, Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him but could not. This did not mean that she gave up on the idea. She just couldn't have killed him up to this point. Herod was the one that was standing in her way. Uh, she needed Herod's cooperation to kill John. She couldn't just make this decree on her own. Now, we know that Herod also wanted to kill John, Matthew 14.5, when he would have put him to death, feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. So Herod's desire to kill John was thwarted by political concerns. He did not want to have a riot on his hands. He couldn't afford that 
politically. But when wicked people have blood on their mind, uh, simple circumstances is not going to stop them. And so here, this kept festering, especially in her mind. Uh, she wanted John dead. She could not stand what he had said, and so she wanted him dead, and it was only going to be a matter of time. The Bible says it this way, when a convenient day was come. That's when the plan was put into action. Convenient. Uh, that's key here, uh, because it kind of uh, reminds us again that the murder of John was not spur of the moment. This is something that they had wanted to do. They were looking for the opportune moment, and the convenient time came. Herod's desire to kill John was not as strong as Herodias's, maybe, but they both had a desire to kill him. Herodias didn't care a whit about what people would say or what people would think. She didn't fear the people. She just wanted him dead. It was only circumstances that prevented her from killing John. But now she had a convenient time to work her plan. All right? So let's look at how it went down. Verse number 21. This convenient day was come. Herod, on his birthday, made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. Now, this is not your dad's birthday party uh, with birthday cake, ice cream, pin the tail on the donkey, and presents. This is a big deal. This was a, this was a festival more than a party. I mean, he had a big to-do about his uh, birthday here. He would celebrate it in grand style. The celebration was in the palace. Uh, it included dignitaries dining and dancing. Uh, it talks about the dignitaries here, his lords, his high captains, his chief, cap, uh, chief estates of Galilee. So the guest list uh, was uh, an important one. These were big names that were coming to this party this evening. This was a prestigious group. They would uh, feed Herod's pride uh, as these things would go. Herod being the guest of honor, they would be fawning over him, feeding his pride. This would cause Herod to want to impress them all the more and uh, like maybe show his great power and beheading someone, which was what's going to happen. When men become obsessed with themselves and seek, them, seek the praise of others, they set themselves up to do gross evil. Let me say that again now. When men become obsessed with themselves and they're obsessed with the praise of others, you are setting yourself up for gross evil. Pride is a trap that produces wicked activity in your life. And it's true for all of us. When we get to the point where we think we deserve whatever, or we think the world owes us, or we start to think of us higher, ourselves as higher than we really are. I think if you dig down deep enough, you'll find really pride is that the root of all sin. Pride is the reason that Satan got thrown out of heaven. Pride is the reason that Adam and Eve sinned. Pride is the reason Cain killed Abel, and we could just go on and on and on down the list of sins. Pride is why I do what I do and why you do what you do when we sin. Pride. Well, this was being set up in Herod. We also see the dining. The uh, birthday party was an extravagant feast. Along with this would be wine and lots of it. Herodias saw her opportunity in all this, I believe. I believe this, as I'm going to tell you just a little bit, show you, I believe this was a big setup on her behalf. Let Herod be surrounded by high officials. Let him get pampered. He'd want to impress them. He'd be full of wine. There would be, he would be in no position to make a good decision. And here again is a lesson for us. 
Wrong companions always lead to degradation. Strong drink will always lead to bad decisions. It always does. And so there's a reason we keep our young people away from these type of things. There's a reason we keep ourselves away from these type of things, or should. The conditioning of Herod for his wickedness. Now get this, this is, this is interesting to me. His, of killing John the Baptist. So the conditioning was accomplished by celebration. This is how he's going to get to the point where he's willing to do what he aforetime was not willing to do. Celebration. Celebration was destroying his resistance. Now Christians, we need to beware of these type of things. Because we can do the same thing. It'll, the, the wrong type of celebration, this would be worldly celebration here, will lower our spiritual temperature. We better be careful of the things that we're involved in. You'll make yourself easy prey for temptation. Listen, we have no business to be in any type of celebration or we'll use the word party. We, need, we have no business to be in any party where the emphasis is on the appeasing the appetites of the flesh or satisfying the appetites of the flesh. Let me give you just a couple. Office Christmas parties, business dinners, school proms, even some family reunions. Now, I'm not saying we can't go to these things or be involved in any of these things, uh, but we better be make sure what we're getting ourselves into. We better do a little bit of due diligence to find out what environment we are putting ourselves into. Atmospheres of drinking and carousing, uh, we should avoid like the plague. Because just as Herod was weakened by this celebration, by this party, and set up to do evil, the same thing can happen to God's people. We need to be careful in these areas. Be careful with who we surround ourselves with. Be careful with what type of situations we allow ourselves to be in. And then he also had dancing. Now, no state uh, occasion like this festival he was having, this party he was having, would be complete without entertainment. And typical of Herod's depraved nature, it's going to be lewd and it's going to be immoral. Herod's guests, which would mostly be men, uh, would be treated to a dancing exhibition. The dancer was going to be Salome. This was Herodias' daughter. And to please this audience, and to please Herod, and who these type of people were, I've read some secular history on, and this, is, they, this was a depraved lot of people. So this wasn't going to be a ballet recital. Right? This is an immoral type of dancing that she did in front of them. Uh, when the dancer, at that, in those days, when a dancer pleased her audience, she was entitled to a reward. And Herod was only too glad to give her one after she completed her lewd dancing. He is immorally inspired, if you know what I mean. He is affected by wine. He's, he's probably drunk. He's eager to impress. And so in verse 22, he says, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And then he goes further. Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it to thee unto half of my kingdom. Now that's a pretty tremendous reward. That's pretty big to be giving away to a girl. Now, now uh, it, it does not reflect fair compensation. What it does reflect is intoxication with wine. It, it, it reflects lust and it reflects pride. He was uh, trying to make a big show of what he would do here. So, Salome trots off to Mama. Look at what she says here. Verse 24, she went forth and said to her mother, 
What shall I ask? Again, this all suggests that there's been a big setup from the beginning. I think Herodias knew what she was doing. I think she knew her man. I think she knew how to condition him to get him to the place where he'd give her what she wanted, which was the head of John the Baptist. Normally, uh, this sort of lewd dancing would not be done by one of the royal family. A professional would be hired. Uh, Herodias, though, had to control the outcome. So Salome did the dancing. When she was asked uh, what her reward, what she wanted, uh, Herodias was ready with the answer. Verse 24, and she said, without hesitation, the head of John the Baptist. So Salome goes back out to Herod. Verse 25, I will, isn't it amazing uh, and sad that this great, great man of God I mean, he's going to lose his life, lose his head over some silly situation like we see here tonight. Rotten, wicked, fleshly. It's a sad thing. So she goes out, verse 25, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. Now, just because we want to cover all bases here, this by and by seems like when you get around to it, Herod, someday I would like, that's kind of how we would seem in our language, but uh, the one, there's one Greek word that's, translated to by and by, and it's ex, exotos or something along. It's not like you know if I get it wrong, right? So we'll just go with that. Uh, so it means on the instant. In fact, that same word is translated twice in the New Testament, immediately, uh, three times immediately, and one time straightway. So what she's saying here is more than a request. She gives a demand, give me at once, essentially, John the Baptist's head, on a charger or a platter. Herodias knew all along what she was doing. Again, I believe it was a setup. What a pathetic character Herod was. Given over completely to his base appetites. That's what happens when you surround yourself with the type of wickedness he's surrounding himself with this evening. When you get into that type of mode, you can be manipulated or talked into doing anything. Sell yourself to the evil appetites of the flesh and you will become vulnerable to evil deeds. It's just a fact of life. Allow yourself to be overcome with your physical, fleshly appetites and evil deeds are just going to follow uh, those type of things. So he's uh, yielded himself basically to be made a serpent, a servant of the serpent, <laughs> the devil. So let us... Just take a lesson from this. Let's learn. Because we as... Here's what happens when we become Christians. Maybe you're different than me. I know you're not because I know what the Bible says. But we're not, we don't lose our passions, do we? We don't lose our fleshly desires. We still have a flesh. If you can pinch yourself and feel it, if you have a flesh. We still, our, our flesh does not want things that are good for us. It's just a... It doesn't when it comes to the buffet line. All right? doesn't, when it comes to life either, doesn't want things good for us, wants things bad for us. And so there's a constant battle going on between the flesh and the spirit. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. And so we know that there's this battle going on, but we'd better learn to control our passions or we will be controlled by our passions. And that's what's happening to Herod here. He set himself up for failure, getting a lewd dancer in front of him. And today we can do this on, on computer screens and phone screens. We can access all kinds of filthy wickedness like this. 
And what are you setting yourself up for? Failure. You're setting yourself up to go deeper into sin. You're setting yourself up to not have any resistance to evil. Which is where, this is where, uh, where Herod was. We better be like Paul, 1 Corinthians 9.27. He says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. You know the original language there? It has the idea of arresting. So essentially, if you wanted to make it into modern language, I'm not promoting another translation, but let me just put it in Yoder language. I slap cuffs on my body. I place my body under arrest. I'm in control of it. And we better do that as Christians. Not always, sometimes it's the hardest thing you'll ever do is to control yourself. In fact, Sunday, I'm working on uh, some, trying not to pull things out of Sunday's message, but we're talking about, uh, about the body. Uh, give me your body is the, is the title of Sunday's message. So come for that. It'll be a blessing too. Uh, but we keep our body and bring it under subjection. And that's what Paul said. Herod was as far from that as you could imagine. His body was in control. He was not in control of his body. Well, here comes the worst order that Herod ever gave. He didn't like the request. Verse 26 says he was exceedingly sorry. Now, why was he sorry? Why was Herod sorry? Was it because he liked John the Baptist so much? Was it because he felt bad because he knew John the Baptist was a good man? I don't believe so. Uh, we just read where Herod wanted to kill John too. And by the way, uh, Herod, if you read, again, the, the, the Bible doesn't go into deep detail, doesn't need to from these men, but if you read secular history on, on Herod, he was a wicked, wicked man. I don't think he had any moral qualms about killing John the Baptist. But he did, he was exceedingly sorry uh, because it had to do with the reaction of the people. That's what it tells us in Matthew. Up to this point, he didn't kill John the Baptist, because he was afraid of what the people might do. So, he, they could riot. They could get him in trouble with Rome. It might jeopardize his position. Now, isn't this a sick way to look at a wicked deed like this? Self, 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 self is all Herod's worried about. This might endanger my position. No, there wasn't holy principle here that moved Herod to sorrow. It was the fact that he might be affected by this. And so he says, exceedingly sorry. We see a lot of this type of sorrow today. It's not godly sorrow. Not, it, it, there's all kinds of different sorrows people have. Sorrow of being caught. Sorrow of not getting away with what they're doing. And, and sorrow of uh, going through a bad circumstance. Not godly sorrow. I, I've worked with both men and women uh, in, in the jail ministry. And uh, I'll go in and have Bible study with them and, and counsel uh, with them. And I've had tears and remorse and, and oh, they're so sorry for what they did. And, and uh, boy, I, I don't know how many times I've had uh, people tell me, preacher, that when I get out, man, the first Sunday I'm in church. I'm coming. First Sunday I'm out. I'm coming to your church. They get out of jail and I have to have the FBI and two bloodhounds just to track them down. They're long gone. And godly sorrow, not on your life. A lot of people have different types of sorrow. And I'm not saying they don't mean it at the time, but it's not true godly repentance. We have all kinds of different sorrow. This was not godly sorrow that Herod had. Like the world's love, which is perverted. The world's sorrow is also perverted. And it has no godly character to it. 
uh, we, if we have the right kind of godly sorrow, it's going to accompany repentance. We will repent from it, not only be sorry that we got caught or how it might affect me. So there was sorrow over there, but look, he sanctioned it. It did not matter that Herod didn't want to give the order. Verse 26, it says, For his, his oath's sake and for their sake, I'm getting tongue-tied here, for his oath's sake and for their sake, which sat with him, he would not reject her. Herod justified himself in the fact that he made an oath in front of his guests. I made an oath, i got to stick by it. He did not want to lose face in front of all these dignitaries. What would they think of him if he reneged? Again, selfish thinking. He's doing it because of a selfish reason. So his pride here is working overtime. All those that would be present, he wanted to show them he's a man of his word. Hey, might be a lot of things, but I'm not going to break my oath. And so he wanted to show his power. So the Bible says he immediately sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison, verse number 27. It's a fascinating thing to see the moral compass that leads some men. Here you have Herod giving priority to his oath. I can't break my oath. That would be wrong. <laughs> it's laughable. He has no guilt for his sin with Herodias. He doesn't think twice about his wicked, immoral party he's just had. He has no qualms about killing an obvious prophet of God. But I don't want to break my oath. It's amazing to me. We, we do sometimes the same thing. We compensate for our big sins by making a big deal of, uh, about little faults. Like Herod, he'd rather commit murder than not be polite to his visitors. He's got a... Here's what sin will do to you. It'll mess up your priorities. It'll get them all out of whack. That's what sin always does. And you put yourself in an immoral situation like this. I mean... I don't want to be rude or anything, but essentially Herod's sitting in a strip club here. This is what's going on here. He's just sitting in a wicked, immoral place. He's got an immoral girl in front of him doing things that she shouldn't have done. They shouldn't have been watching this stuff. His head's not going to be right. And of course he's going to be all out of whack in his decision-making. And that's what happens to us when we allow ourselves uh, to, to, uh, to just dip into sin like this. So this... Perverted conscience, by the way, is the same thing that we see with the Jewish leaders when Jesus was crucified. John 18, 28. This is an amazing thing, too. Same thing here. It says, they went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled. This is the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, when Jesus was being crucified. Okay, they had practiced bribery. They paid Judas to betray Jesus. They also bribed people to give false testimony at Jesus' faux pas fake trial. They plotted the murder of Jesus. They lied. They gathered false witnesses. They sanctioned unlawful whipping of Jesus. But they went not in the judgment hall lest they might be defiled. Man, I tell you, sin will warp your priorities. It'll get it all, all out of whack. We've got to be careful. We allow sin in. Then they made a big deal about some man-made ceremonial rule while they murdered the Son of God. That's some messed up priorities. It's, uh, Jesus talked about it, straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. 
That's what that is. And, and we do the same thing. I may do such and such, but at least I don't do such and such. Do the same thing. Sin, sin. Let's just get rid of it. All right, then look at the silence about the order. The guests with Herod did not protest the killing. Now, they weren't any better than he was. This is a rotten bunch he surrounded himself with. It's no surprise. You don't think they didn't enjoy the immorality that was going on here this evening as well? And again, if you have no trouble stomaching that immorality, you won't have any trouble what comes afterwards, or you'll have very little success in protesting sin. So these high officials of the land would not lift one finger of protest. The failure of these men to, to protest Herod's wickedness, I believe with all my heart, they'll have to answer for as well. Now they might not have given the order, but here they sit and let these things happen. Herod gave the order, Herodias inspired the order, but everybody there is complicit. They were not the only ones. Those two aren't the only ones that are going to share in the guilt here. God help us. If we live the type of lives where we come to church and we sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus, and then we go out in the world and nobody knows we're a Christian, we won't take a stand for God. We need to learn to stand for right, stand for truth, like John the Baptist did. Might somebody get upset? Maybe. And I'm not talking about being rude or I'm not talking about being mean-spirited, but we ought to stand. We, we shouldn't get spiritual lockjaw when we get around people uh, who are not Christians. We ought to speak up against evil. Listen, if somebody around you is using God's name as a curse word, defend your God, amen? I mean, just I'd rather not use that language around me. I, I usually start out by, what's God got to do with it? That usually stops it. If it doesn't, you can go further into it, but... Uh, defend God. You can control what happens in your home. If somebody over, somebody's dishonoring the Lord in some way in your home, take care of it. Uh, stand for right. If you have somebody who tries to pull you into a gossip session of some type about somebody else in the church or or uh, or anybody for that matter, stand for right. We ought to we ought to have some backbone. And and I could list a million uh, different things that could come up, I mean, circumstances, but we ought to stand for right. These men that was uh, surrounding Herod did not. We miss some valuable lessons if we don't look at what happened after the beheading. Matthew uh, 14, 12, we're not going to turn there, I'll just read it to you. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus, my, what a sad time this must have been. Uh, they were brave. It took a lot of courage for them to go and get John's headless body. Uh, for all they know, they could be the next ones beheaded. To be a friend of John was to be an enemy of Herod and Herodias, but they went. They were loyal. We've seen their loyalty before. And they went into this den of the lion and retrieved John's body. So they were brave. They were also wise. It's a beautiful statement. And it says a lot. Sometimes you see just a couple words in the Bible, and you know there's just a lot in that little statement. And they went and told Jesus. Well, that must have been a sad... This was Jesus' cousin, John was. He was their leader. But they went and told Jesus all about it. Probably a time of tears, frustration, wise. What a, what a terrible thing over some lust-filled, wicked monster for, for the sake of a girl dancing. Here's this man of God that loses his head over it. Oh, they must have had questions. They took all their troubles to the Lord. That is an example we need to follow. 
We all have troubles. We all experience heartache. We all have unanswered questions. The best thing you can do is do what they did. They went and told Jesus. The song says, Are you weary? Are you heavy hearted? Are you grieving over joys departed? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus alone. We tell a lot of people, listen now, we tell a lot of people our troubles today who can't do anything for us. Tell it to Jesus. Take it to Him. If you, uh, he, says, he says in the Bible, if you're, I uh, can't think of the verse now, but uh, uh, can't, it just flew my mind. But uh, uh, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. In fact, somebody, sometimes we tell the wrong people and it makes the problem worse. Tell it to Jesus. Lee Holtz, or Lou Holtz said, never tell your problems to anyone. Twenty percent don't care about that you have problems. The other eighty percent are glad you have them. I think that's probably true in most of our lives. Tell it to Jesus. Oh, here it is. I even wrote it down. Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Telling it to Jesus will never make it worse. Never. It will bring you comfort. Telling it to Jesus uh, will always give you a perspective. Uh, if you uh, just tell it to him. These disciples of John did the right thing, and we ought to do the same in the midst of trouble. And then, finally, the parting of Jesus. When John's put in prison, we talked about this a few weeks ago, when he's first imprisoned, the Bible says Jesus left the area. The same thing happened when John was beheaded. Matthew fourteen thirteen. when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. When you deal unkindly with God's servants, you'll drive away God's blessings. I believe the same thing is true in a church. People who misuse a pastor, or, or you know, we've seen it in places, and, and, uh, or misuse God's man, or whether it be an evangelist or a missionary, or whatever the case might be. Uh, God's blessings depart. Uh, what a fool Herod was in his own jurisdiction. Here you had a man named Jesus who the Bible says went about doing good, healing people, healing the sick, making the blind able to see, healing the lepers, later raising the dead. But Herod mistreated God's servant and he lost the greatest blessing of his land. Many are the nations who have mistreated great men of God, persecuted them, and driven blessing out of their nation. Let's hope and pray that's not happening right here, right now, amen, with some of the places in our nation that are seemingly attacking churches. But look at what happened to Herod. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us here. Again, we have to go to secular history for this, but uh, according to what the history books tell us, that the hand of God, uh, God's revenge was on Herod. Herodias, always after vain glory, uh, insisted that Herod go to Rome and ask for the title of king. Now, the Bible calls him in Mark 6.14 a king, but he wasn't technically a king. It was not an official title unless that was approved by the Roman Senate. Uh, the title that best fits Herod was the one that Jesus gave him in uh, Luke 13.32. He called him that old fox. <laughs> That's what Herod was. But he did. He made the trip to Rome. And he asked for the title king. And history tells us instead of getting the title of king, the Roman Senate banished him to France. There he and Herodias both died miserably and alone. Tradition tells us that Salome died by falling through 
the ice into freezing water, and when she did, she fell in such a way that the sharp edges of the ice nearly decapitated her. That's interesting, isn't it? Sin pays, but what terrible, terrible wages it brings. The ultimate wage of sin is found in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's the ultimate wage of sin. Praise God for the second part of that verse, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We cannot earn heaven. All we earn is death. We can, uh, the heaven is a gift. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 15, truly, the way of the transgressor is hard. And it always is. But, uh, you know, in, in closing, you look at these two men, John the Baptist and Herod, and the contrast to these two men are that one lived 100% for the flesh. That's all he did. He made all his decisions based on what he wanted. John made his choices based on the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. Uh, he, was, he was God's man. He, anybody who eats locusts and wild honey and dresses in camel hair, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't worried about the fineries of the world. I believe that one of the greatest lessons that we find in John the Baptist, he was hated by the elite of the day, the religious leaders. He was... His ministry only lasted six months. John died a young man. And he was beheaded at the end. Yet he is immortalized in God's word. Jesus said he was the greatest man born among women. I mean, it just begs the question, whose praise do we seek? Oh, Herod, that awful evening of that party, he had to be praised and he was. people were, were I'm sure... Uh, giving him all kinds of uh, praise and honor and, and were lavishing him and trying to probably gain some of their own positions. And John's hated, but heaven elevated John. And it's always better to please the eternal God of heaven than it is to please a bunch of people who didn't care that much about him anyway. He died alone. All these friends weren't around for the last part of Herod's life, because nobody really cared about him. But John was elevated by heaven. So, I guess we could take a lot of lessons here, but priorities is a big one. Where are our priorities tonight? What are you allowing in your life? Maybe it's through the eye gate, maybe it's through the ear gate. What are you allowing in your life that messes up your spiritual priorities? Let's get those things taken care of, and it'll help you make better decisions. Amen? Father, we thank you for this story, and I know we kind of shotgun through.